Welcome to the Sleep by Shay podcast. I'm Shay Morrison, sleep expert and co-founder of The Goodnight Co. Join me each week for hints and tips on all things sleep and follow me on Instagram at Shay Morrison. In our second episode of our dedicated menopause series, we shed some light on the different stages of menopause and what our hormones are doing in each of these stages and ultimately how this affects our sleep. Today, I chat with Mia Robertson, accredited naturopath and founder of Fem21. She shares her wisdom on this topic and talks about some solutions to the somewhat tough symptoms so many women face throughout this journey. Mia shares the GOAT access with us, which really helps to understand what is going on in our bodies. If you want to know more about the GOAT access, then tune in. Before we get started on this episode, I would like to remind listeners that while we discuss a wide range of topics on the show, any advice that I give is purely my own opinion. If you want to delve deeper and require further support in your menopause and sleep health journey, please speak to your preferred healthcare professional. I do hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get started. It's great to have you on the show today, Mia. You have been a podcast guest previously, and I wanted to get you back on today. I'm such a massive fan of your product and have been using it for nearly two years now and really, really noticed such a difference and would love to share some more information specifically today around hormones, perimenopause and menopause. Mia is the founder of a beautiful product called Fem21, the female supplement, which we can talk a little bit more about later and is a naturopath. So the 101 around the three main hormones that are involved when we enter into this phase as a female and to really, I guess, break it down so that people can digest it in bite-sized pieces and to not feel too overwhelmed by all of the information because once you, you get online and start digging, um, some information can feel really overwhelmed and we want to be able to help you understand a little bit more about what is happening with the changes in your body during this phase. So welcome, Mia. Thank you, Shay. I'm so excited to be back again. It's so nice to see you and connect again after COVID and this last crazy two years. <laughs> One of the questions I do love to ask is, how did you sleep last night? Oh, pretty well, but I did wake up quite early. So I'm usually a very good sleeper. I say, and I think I said this on the last podcast, is sleep is like my superpower. So yeah. Feel like if I wasn't sleeping well, I'd be a total mess. But anybody that's not sleeping well can relate to that. I'm just pre period, so I'm due for my period to come in the next couple of days. And it's not uncommon as your estrogen's dropping prior to your period for there to be some sleep disruptions. So I just noticed yeah. last night. Oh, well, at least you had a good sleep, even if you did wake up. I woke up too early this morning as well. I guess what I'd love to to really dive into, and prior to this conversation, you were chatting about the changes of what's happened around menopause. It is such a big topic these days, and, and I am loving the fact that it's uh, a topic that people feel free to talk about more than ever. But as you mentioned, that there has been a change in maybe what's happened over the last 50 years in this space. And I'd love you to sort of share your thoughts on that. Yeah, so 50 years ago, we we're living in a quite different world. Women transitioning through menopause at that stage, it really didn't have too many dramas. It wasn't such an event like it is in modern day society for women. 
naturally our body should transition quite smoothly from an ovulatory regular cycle winding down and your period stopping and technically menopause is the cessation of your period for 12 months the age that menopause is happening is actually creeping up to about 51 to 52 where earlier it used to be about 49 to 50. We're sort of understanding trends in women's health that are affecting you know, age of menopause and the severity of symptoms throughout that transitional period in terms of perimenopause and then the actual menopausal phase. And perimenopause can last for quite some time and it can even kick in from 35 so yeah really go on for an extended period before you stop ovulating there's a variety of factors that are influencing hormonal health for women at every age when it comes to menopause we're exposed to more endocrine disrupting chemicals in our environment and that's impacting how we're metabolizing hormones and how our liver's functioning and the type of estrogen that we're producing. And we're also under a lot more stress. How we're dealing with that stress is impacting our body physically. Now that mind-body connection, you cannot separate. And so that has a knock-on effect to our adrenal function and our cortisol levels, as well as our sleep and mm. our neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine we're just in a different phase in our society in our life where we need to really look after ourselves probably more so than ever 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 before to make that transition more smoothly in that you were sort of talking about the chemical load and stress Another resulting factor, I guess, is weight gain as well. So you've got these three big things. So if we sort of were to break those down in terms of the chemical load, for people that have never heard of this or or thought about how that might be affecting our hormones, can you maybe break that down a little bit and explain that? So plastics are probably the biggest culprit of endocrine Mm. chemicals and we're using plastics everywhere from how we're packaging our food, how we're storing our food, our drinks, water, even like storing like shampoo and conditioners. And yeah. Plastic is everywhere. 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 And there are certain chemicals in plastic that play havoc with estrogen metabolism. We call them endocrine disrupting chemicals or EDCs. They're wide ranging. There's like hundreds um, that have been studied around how they impact estrogen metabolism for women. That exposure to those plastics disrupts our liver in terms of how our liver is turning our estrogen into a different form to clear it out of the body. Right. And so that's what the liver does. It filters the blood and then it takes estrogen, turns it into a different form and pushes it through into the bowel to be eliminated out of your system. So if there's chemicals that are also in the bloodstream floating along with estrogen and they're hitting the liver, then the liver's going to start going a little bit haywire and then it's not going to be metabolizing that estrogen effectively. Mm-hmm. And then we've 
getting more potent toxic estrogen in our system for longer than it should be. And that's where it can cause problems. It doesn't get filtered and metabolized out efficiently. And then we move into these more estrogen dominant states and we have more potent estrogen in our system, which causes things like heavy periods and estrogen is a growth hormone. It's also an inflammatory hormone. Causes things to grow in the body, like cysts and fibroids, but also the endometrial lining of the uterus, that mm-hmm. our period. So, if we're estrogen dominant, we're going to have heavier, more clotty periods. We're going to have more pain with our periods as well because it's an inflammatory hormone. So, it like sets fire to the, the uterus. Right. <laughs> so, not great periods when we're estrogen dominant. And then we've got more likely to have cysts on the ovaries, fibroids in the uterus, endometriosis, cysts in the breasts, um, dense breasts, and be also more fluidy, like hold fluid retention, holding onto more fluid, more swollen, um, if we're not metabolizing estrogen effectively. And then this plays a big part in our overall hormonal system in terms of our ovaries, our adrenals, and our thyroid and they're all interconnected underlying all of that is our gut health as well i use the analogy of the goat axis g-o-a-t to simplify it so that we can have a better understanding about this important system in the body the goat axis and how one has a knock-on effect to the other because it can be overwhelming because we can experience a variety of symptoms and we kind of don't know where to start in terms of health. And, and what is the goat access? We'll break it down. We'll talk about gut health first. Okay. G for gut. Great. <laughs> great. We want to have a great gut. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely want a great gut. Definitely. Gut health is dependent on our diet, you know, how much fiber that we're taking in our diet, processed foods can also be sugar, food sensitivities can also improve influence our gut health we're also influencing our gut health by the amount of movement that we're doing or how active we are how much water we're drinking and also our stress response as well impacts our gut health and so we really want to ensure that we're eating a nice clean diet high in fiber which contains fermented foods that are good pre and probiotics for our microbiome And we're not eating foods that we're sensitive to or that cause an inflammatory response. And especially like at this, you know, the 45 to 55 age bracket, say, naturally our gut will stop producing as much lactase enzyme to break down down. All right, just naturally happens as we get older. So if we're still consuming dairy and gluten and our digestive enzymes aren't there to break it down, it's going to be a lot more inflammatory for our gut and our body. Not a great gut, an unhappy gut. (laughs) And also, you know, we're not really eating as much fibre as we used to. We're eating more processed foods Mm. and and insoluble fiber it's not in our diets like it used to be in terms of like you know nuts and seeds and plenty of fruit and veggies and raw and you know unfortunately it's a it's an overprocessed western diet that mm. leads to you know sluggish bowels and higher incidence of bowel problems chronically getting our gut health right 
makes a big difference to our overall health. But from a hormonal perspective, when we have a healthy gut, it means that we can eliminate those hormonal metabolites that have been filtered from the liver. We produce proteins in the gut that prevent like the reabsorption of those hormonal metabolites into the bloodstream. And we also have, you know, plenty of fiber to bind all of those toxins up and carry them out of the body. So gut health's a big one. Just on that before we move to the O, so for people that were thinking if that's affecting me, what are some of the symptoms that people might be feeling if their gut wasn't functioning at at an optimal level? A common one is not moving your bowels regularly, whether that's moving too often, four, yeah. five, six times a day with loose watery it could be a, a gluten, a high gluten intolerance potentially. Could be food sensitivity there, or not moving enough, you know, going mm. days and days without having an effective bowel motion. Having a good bowel motion means that you're emptying completely. And that you feel like at the end of it, okay, cool, done, well-formed, it's not pellety, it's not hard, you're not straining. That's number one way of assessing where you're at mm-hmm. for your gut is how good your poos are. The second thing is, you know, symptomatically bloating and gas. Yeah. And that can be another common thing associated with gut health. And bloating can come whether you're eating or not. It can be worse after food. You can wake up bloated or you can get more bloated by the end of the day. Other symptoms can be nausea and reflux Mm. or um, stomach pain and discomfort. Also, I would say bad breath. Your tongue can also be another good indicator of how well your gut is functioning in terms of the coating on your tongue. If it's really white coated or red and patchy or scalloped it can indicate that your gut health is not great that you're not producing a lot of digestive enzymes or there's candida there or there's inflammation going on within the gut okay great so then moving on to o so o stands for our ovaries and we want to talk about our ovarian hormones predominantly estrogen progesterone but also testosterone as well we also make androgens, which is estrogen and testosterone, not just in the ovaries, but also in our adrenal glands and in adipose tissue or fat tissue. Having a healthy level of androgens where we're not having excess or a deficiency is really where we're going to be at our happiest. Unfortunately, I would say Western medicine (laughs) doesn't look at hormonal imbalances very effectively the thing is that we want to approach our overall health with an attitude of prevention rather than cure we want to be aware of what the red flags are that are waving and the signs and symptoms and getting on top of your overall health before it gets really bad and chronic looking at our hormones it can definitely vary depending on when you're ovulating and that's totally normal we're meant to have a fluctuation and a rolling of our hormones throughout our cycle if you're not aware of when you're ovulating and you're doing a blood test sporadically in your cycle and you can't sort of time stamp it as to where it is relatively 
to your period coming or to ovulation, it can be very misleading. You can have these wide reference ranges that cover a whole phase in the cycle, but that reference range doesn't account for when on that one day that you had that blood test. Mm. So you might be climbing for progesterone or you might be falling for estrogen and then your doctor can look at it and go, oh, you're in the range. Everything's normal hormonally. You've got nothing to worry about and send you on your way. Or they typically say, you're at this age, you're having these symptoms, here's some HRT. <laughs> yeah. You know. So it's kind of like um, understanding where you're at hormonally is understanding your cycle, ovulation, your symptoms, also supporting not just your hormones but your body holistically in terms mm. of your gut, your adrenals, your thyroid, as well as your hormones because it all has and, a knock-on effect. And I think a great way of, of doing that, and maybe you've got a different system, but is to track it, having a diary or a tracking system, keeping note of that every day so that then you can start to see the patterns that are being built. Yeah, 100%. Tracking is so empowering. It helps you to understand where you are in your cycle. It almost gives you a little bit of grace, right, to say, oh, it's okay. Oh, that's where I am. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm feeling yeah. bloated for three days or, you know, my jeans don't fit. Oh, yeah. and then it goes away. Exactly. <laughs> but but for someone who, um, you know, I, I'm in perimenopause and now definitely have very irregular cycles, it's a tricky one though because it's so inconsistent. So the tracking isn't really giving me that the data that I probably want. Like what, what's your suggestion there? What I would look out for is cervical mucus. So that's my biggest tip. Cervical mucus will still be produced around ovulation. When you're ovulating, you'll have an increase in cervical mucus. It might not be heaps. It might not be like when you're in your 20s, but yeah. it'll be different and than the normal dry vagina state. At that time of cervical mucus, you may also feel like a little bit more bloated or have some ovulation pain. So then you know, okay, well, I am, I have ovulated. It might be that I have a, had a period and ovulated for three or four months, but because I've ovulated, no, I'm not pregnant. That means I'm most likely going to get my period in, within the next two weeks. The other way you can track it is by temperatures. And that's if you're really committed. You can do that every morning wake up and that fluctuation in your temperatures will show you if you've ovulated. Perimenopausal phase can be very irregular cycles. You know, you can go from having short, quite short cycles, you know, for like a 21-day cycle. Or, or 19. <laughs> 19, <laughs> 21 days, yeah. very long time. So, sorry, when I talk about cycles, I mean from day one of your first period through to day one of your next period is. So you can have a short, short cycle. And that might be that you've, you've ovulated quite early, you know, day 10 or day nine or something like that. Or you can have really long cycles where you, you know, don't have a period for three or four months and then yeah. one suddenly shows up. The other thing is you can have really irregular periods as well in flow, have really heavy, prolonged bleeding. 
So with that heavy prolonged bleeding may go for weeks and weeks. It's not likely that you would have three weeks of bleeding and then a week off and then another three weeks of bleeding. It would usually be like a long bleed followed by a long cycle. Yeah. The next period wouldn't show up for, for a while, but it can vary from person to person. Really just depends. Other than seeking HRT, from an alternative perspective, how can people support this stage? I think it's not one size fits all. It's definitely a case-by-case scenario. You want to make sure that you're ticking the boxes in terms of that health is right, weight's managed, activity levels are good, diet's good, they're sleeping well. You're ticking those, those boxes as a foundational thing. Working on how they're managing stress and how their cortisol levels are fluctuating throughout the day and evening. And then you're also supporting the body naturally through nutrition. It might be specific vitamins or minerals or herbs that can, from you know my perspective as a naturopath, that can really be one of the most effective ways of addressing a subclinical issue before it turns into a big issue. <laughs> Yeah. If you can catch it and look after yourself throughout this transition, then, you know, the likelihood of needing heavier intervention, whether it's a hysterectomy or HRT Mm. or, you know, that side of things, it definitely lessens. One of the things that we spoke about earlier as well um, was around weight gain is a sign of this stage. So what can people be doing to try and avoid that weight gain? It's tricky because it comes with the territory almost. (laughs) Just like the symptoms are on a scale, you know, your weight can be on a scale as well. So women that are underweight or very slim going through menopause often do have a hard time with it as women that are overweight on the other end of the scale. So going into this phase, often when the weight is higher, we've got a situation of estrogen dominance. It's where we're storing more fat, more adipose tissue, and then that fat is producing more estrogen in the system. And so higher levels of estrogen will lead to more extreme symptoms, you know, more hot flushes, more night sweats, and then tied in with our adrenal health as well is more anxiety, sleep disruptions, also midsection weight gain. And so we tend to sort of apple out and that comes with higher levels of estrogen as well as higher levels of stress. And then that has a knock-on effect as well to our thyroid and our metabolism. It's kind of like, well, where do we start? Because when we're estrogen dominant, we've got a lot of fat tied up in estrogen. Uh, sorry, a lot of estrogen tied up in fat. It's a lot more difficult to tap into that, to burn it. When our metabolism sluggish as well, we're going to, you know, you might be exercising, but then like it leaves you feeling feeling really drained and tired and moody because your metabolism isn't supporting an ongoing burning of the fire in the body. So how do we, it just sounds all doom and gloom. How do we, what do we do about it? So I think probably the first step is gut health. 
just do what you can, right? It doesn't actually matter where you start because it all has a knock-on effect to the other. Even though it's quite overwhelming in terms of the symptoms that we can experience through perimenopause and menopause, it doesn't really matter where you start. If you start with your gut health, that's going to improve how you're feeling. If you yep. start managing your stress, that's great too because that's going to improve your gut health, your sleep, you know, reduce inflammation in the body. It'll improve how your body is metabolizing hormones, how much progesterone that we're producing. And progesterone also helps to negate that higher level of estrogen. And also, you know, getting our nutrition right might be, you know, that we're just a bit low in zinc or iron, Mm. just building those levels. And then that makes a difference to how we're feeling in terms of our energy. So then we're more motivated to do some exercise or we might be sleeping better, more motivated for eating better as well, because often when you're tired and moody and fatigued and you haven't slept well, you're not going to be making the best choices food-wise. Yeah. Or it might be just cleaning up, you know, your environment. Mm. It could switching to natural products that don't contain endocrine disrupting chemicals yeah. in terms of, you know, moisturizers or shampoos or conditioners or makeup or deodorant, cleaning Cle- products. Cleaning products, yeah. Washing detergent. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> where do we start and stop? And if anybody wants some some good advice on that, if, if it's not something that you've looked into, Alex Stewart, who has Low Tox Life, is a great place to start. Yeah, and it all helps, you know. It's not like there's one particular formula that you've got to follow it's doing what you can and then building upon that working with somebody that can support you you know making those changes and keeping you on track and whether it's a nutritionist or a dietitian or a naturopath or your doctor or even just a friend you know going to the gym with or going for a Mm. walk with or something like that that keeps you sort of motivated um, accountability yeah, yeah, it all helps, definitely. Sorry, I'm just, you know, we're talking about a lot of things, which is absolutely perfect, but let's go back to ovarian hormones. Yes, yes yeah. <laughs> and talk about how that um, estrogen and testosterone, our androgens, have a relationship with one another. So estrogen and testosterone will convert back and forth to one another. And it does it through um, an enzyme called aromatase and how well our body is making aromatase and then making estrogen is dependent on factors like liver health and nutritional status and our stress response and inflammation in the body. And so ultimately for women, we don't want to be producing heaps of testosterone but we don't want to be producing too little either. We've got to stay within this healthy window. But ultimately, we want estrogen as women to be more dominant than testosterone. And when that cycle shifts and testosterone's higher, then it makes us more insulin resistant as well. Mm. So we have trouble metabolizing sugars. Affects things like our skin health, our hair health. So our skin dries out, our hair can fall out. We can start growing hairs where we haven't been before (laughs) on the face or on the nipples or the snail trail. Our libido can actually drop. So for women to fuel our libido, we need estrogen. For Mm. men, testosterone. So if we're lacking in the right type of good estrogen, our libido will drop, we'll get dry vaginally as well and it'll make it more uncomfortable to have intercourse we won't be producing vaginal 
mucus very well and our mucosal membranes will thin too. We want to have that higher level of estrogen to lower level of testosterone. And so liver health is important there and B vitamins and zinc and also eating lignans in our diet. So that's things like sesame seeds and flax seeds all can be really helpful for the promotion of good estrogen and the clearing of testosterone. Activity can also play a part there too, doing the right type of exercise. For people that are thinking, oh, I don't really know, maybe that sounds like me, that can be tested through blood tests. It can, yeah, yeah. You can test estrogen and testosterone as well as progesterone. If you're ovulating, I would recommend doing it after ovulation, roughly five to seven days after ovulation. If you're not sure when you're ovulating, I'd probably suggest doing a saliva test because that will give us a better idea of what's going on in tissue, in your fat cells. That can give us a ratio between estrogen and testosterone as opposed to what's circulating in the blood. I would also like to harp on about the connection between our ovaries and adrenals and progesterone as well. So we talked about estrogen and testosterone, but progesterone and our adrenals have this really close relationship because when we're stressed, cortisol levels will and adrenaline increases and that robs our body of progesterone. Mm-hmm. The progesterone goes in to fuel our, our stress response by turning into cortisol. After ovulation, we're not producing much progesterone which naturally opposes estrogen, then our symptoms around our period become a lot more heightened. So, you know, we have more painful periods, more PMS, we're a lot more irritable, our breasts are really sore and swollen, and we can be a lot more fluidy, a lot more bloated prior to the period. Also, headaches can be more prevalent at that time when we're higher in estrogen and lower in progesterone. Progesterone is super important hormone from the ovaries and naturally when we're not ovulating it's regularly we're not producing as much progesterone so progesterone is produced after ovulation so if we're having these irregular cycles not producing much progesterone so then we have to rely on our adrenal glands to make progesterone just like our adrenals will also make estrogen they will also make progesterone outside of ovulation so if we're stressed we're not sleeping well and there's adrenal dysfunction or adrenal resistance which can also come from high levels of estrogen trigger a protein to be produced called cortisol binding globulin and that cortisol binding globulin will have an inhibitory effect on our adrenal glands and make it less responsive to our pituitary hormones to produce cortisol at adequate times in the day. Then instead of producing a good amount of cortisol in the morning to set us up for good energy through the day and tell our body that this is our active awake time and help us to deal with stress, our adrenals become sluggish and fatigued and resistant. And then we may have... Um, a cortisol spike at an irregular time. So it could be in the middle of the night or 
at 11 o'clock at night and that can prevent us from going to sleep or it could be in the afternoon after exercising. Naturally, we want our cortisol levels to rise in the morning to fire up and then gradually decline throughout the day and then switch off for us to sleep. And so if cortisol isn't doing that because we've got resistance in the adrenal glands, that's going to impact a whole variety of things of how we're feeling throughout the day. That also has a knock-on effect to our thyroid gland as well. So it's all connected and that's where the goat axis comes in, gut, ovaries, adrenals and then thyroid. That lower level of cortisol production or adrenal fatigue or adrenal resistance, whatever you want to call it, or dysfunction, then produces a feedback to the thyroid and the brain in the endocrine system to then make the thyroid sluggish as well. So it like one pulls the other one down. Oh, it's just a double whammy. <laughs> double whammy. And then our thyroid, which is so important for our metabolism and burning of fat and our liver, you know, metabolism as well and keeping the rhythm of the body then the thyroid starts to, to slow down and become sluggish. You can have lower levels of T3 and T4 being produced. You may still be, be within the reference ranges, but we're moving into this subclinical thyroid. Mm. And then, unfortunately, with lower levels of thyroid hormones impacting our metabolism, then the metabolism of our hormones like estrogen is not as effective and then it just feeds the system again. And so then we're building these high levels of estro toxic estrogen. And then that has a knock-on effect to our adrenals, which then slows our thyroid down. Wow. There's a huge amount of information there. And you can truly understand why it all becomes quite complex. As you've said, it's not just a one-size-fits-all model. It's you know, you layer in the personalized aspect of all of that. I guess the key message is also tuning into your body, keeping a record of all of this information so that you can start to see patterns being built so that you can try and intervene as early as possible. Because as we said, it would be great for people to be able to sail through this phase as easily as possible rather yeah. than it be gritty. Yes. Yep. And I love that. That's a great way of describing it. Is it, it, it is gritty when you're having frequent hot flushes and sweating when you've got adrenal resistance or adrenal fatigue or adrenal dysfunction, whatever you want to call it, that will also contribute to a spike in anxiety with a flush. So it's mm. not unusual for women to report when they're having a hot flush, all of a sudden their heart rate's increasing, they're feeling anxious. That might be just like the little warning sign and then bang, there's, there's a hot flush and then the heat rises and the sweating that goes with it. It's all connected. <laughs> um, it's all connected. And then that's why people start to think they're going a bit crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it is, it's gritty. It's a hard thing to, to manage and, and try to smooth out as much as there's a lot of information and it's complex. You know, our bodies are complex and we want to be viewing it as a holistic being, right? We don't want to just... Mm pull out one thing and just say, well, you know, I've got to fix that. It's like, okay, let's look at this as a whole. If I've had a red flag waving with my thyroid, for example, 
you know, that might be low body temperature or feeling like you can't regulate your body temperature well. Mm. It might be your hair's falling out or your eyebrows are thinning or yeah. that you get puffy around underneath the eyes and your metabolism's really slowing down. So then go and get your thyroid checked and not just mm. the standard, ask for the more in-depth testing and say, mm. you know, I'm prepared to pay. You know, I don't expect you to put it under Medicare. I just want the information. <laughs> and that might even be, you know, not just testing in your blood, but it might be doing like a urine test for iodine because a nutritional deficiency in iodine can impact your, your thyroid health. Selenium is also really important, zinc, B6. So Vitamin yeah. D. Vitamin D, yeah, definitely. And oh, it's been a while now, but I did do the Dutch hormone test. So that was, I thought, quite a complex, good all-round. It does cost a bit more money, so you're not going to be able to claim that one on Medicare. But if you wanted to get that full complex report, it definitely is a good one. It is, yeah, 100%. I would definitely, though, do it in relation to ovulation, though. Yes. to so a blood test that you want to see what's going on in your cycle with your peak for estrogen and progesterone production in the luteal phase. You want to look at that in the Dutch hormone test five to seven days after ovulation to get an accurate yeah. picture. I think we've covered so much and we've touched a little bit around sleep, but you've sort of mentioned around how some of these things can trigger cortisol spike in the middle of the night or, you know, 11 p.m. But how else can we try and manage some of these things to aid better sleep or how can we get better sleep to aid some of these things? It is a little bit of chicken and egg sometimes. What are some tips that you can provide to layer all of this back into healthy sleep? And healthy sleep is so important for your adrenal function. So really, if you want to start somewhere, starting with your adrenal function, it's going to have a significant knock-on effect to that whole holistic endocrine function. Getting better sleep can be sleep routine and sleep habits before bed. I often recommend being active in the mornings or naturally stimulating your cortisol response through exercise and activity and you're triggering that wakefulness to set you up for the day. If you are going to exercise in the afternoon or evening, I would just really make sure it's low intensity. So that might be going for a walk or doing some yoga or Pilates that's low intensity. I wouldn't be doing like a CrossFit or a F45 at night, you know. <laughs> <laughs> because that's going to stimulate cortisol and then disrupt your sleep for the rest of the evening and, and night. You won't be able to switch off and wind down as effectively. Coffee and caffeine is a big one as well. That will rob your body of progesterone. It disrupts your hormones. Being really mindful about how much caffeine that you're consuming, keeping it at, a, at least under 100 milligrams, don't have caffeine on an empty stomach, have it at an appropriate time of the day as well. You know, don't have it in the afternoons or, you know, past one o'clock. That's going to make it make a difference to your cortisol fluctuations. Also doing things like B vitamins can be really helpful. They're especially good in the mornings and that might be in form of like a multivitamin or a whole food supplement that's rich naturally in, in vitamins and minerals. It could even be juicing that's naturally high in, in vitamins and minerals, B vitamins specifically. 
And then before bed, I often recommend zinc and magnesium as mm. another one that just helps to lower cortisol in the body before bed. Herbally, things like licorice, withania, romania, rhodiola, Siberian ginseng, all are really nourishing for our adrenals. So they can help reduce that adrenal resistance. And so it makes the adrenals more sensitive to regulation from the brain. And so that we can have adequate levels of cortisol following adrenaline and cortisol can rise and then fall as it needs to. So we can switch off and have a better sleep. And then as our liver and our hormones are being metabolized more effectively through the day, we'll have a better sleep at night. It's not unusual for women to report if they've had a bad day with hot flushes, that'll be followed by a bad night. Having better control there makes a big difference too. And so just understanding what might be triggering your hot flushes. It could be a stressful situation. It could be food. Just trying to manage that as best as you possibly can through the day will help with a better sleep. And, you know, Fem21 is going to be helpful there for reducing your hot flushes. Absolutely. Yeah. Fem21 is a great complex product. We're talking about this earlier where it really addresses lots of different areas. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about some of the ingredients and female areas that it covers off. Yeah. So the beautiful thing with Fem21 is although it's geared towards hormonal balance for women, it also supports other systems like our liver and our bowels and our gut. It supports obviously those ovarian hormones of estrogen metabolism and that working more efficiently with herbs that support liver metabolic uh, herbs that support the liver for better metabolism of estrogen and testosterone too herbs that support progesterone production as well like chase tree one of my favorites or vitex um, for progesterone production and then we've got our liver herbs we've got fiber and probiotics which feed our microbiome and help us to detoxify and eliminate waste efficiently and then herbs for our adrenals like licorice, withania, Siberian ginseng which are all really important for cortisol levels but also our stress response and our neurotransmitter production as well so it helps our moods and helps us to feel more clear and stable mentally and emotionally and then we've got herbs in there that support the thyroid as well like bladderwrack and rosemary, withania is another one that supports the thyroid too and then our alkalizing greens. So there's 21 ingredients in there. So it's a lot in there, but it does support the body holistically. You know, as a naturopath, that's our aim. You know, we want to ensure that we're looking at the body as a whole. We're not just picking one thing out to treat symptomatically. Yeah, I can definitely vouch for it. And it's a, an easy scoop in the some water in the mornings and, and away you go. Thank you so much, Mia, for joining us today. I, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to specifically add, but I think some of the, the key takeouts is that, you know, it is a, an important time that we, we go through during this phase and every female is going to, to go through it in, in a different way. It's very personalized. And I think that taking note of it, understanding a bit more about what is happening in our bodies and taking that personalized plan for yourself is so important and then seeking support. So if you are really struggling and deciding that 
something's not working for you, then go and find some support. And you mentioned before, that might be a naturopath, it might be a nutritionist, it might be a dietitian or your GP if you've got a really good one. Then go and get some extra support from those people so that you can make it as seamless as possible rather than it to feel, as we said before, feel really gritty. So I really thank you for joining us today and explaining a little bit more about what's going on in our system. I love the GOAT access. I've written that one down because I think that that's a great piece that sort of dives in a little bit more to help understand what's going on. Excellent. I hope I didn't overcomplicate things (laughs) for people. uh, Hopefully people pick up the information that's relevant to them and And if you want to find out more information about Mia and FEM21, then feel free to jump on to the website, fem21.com.au. No AU. Just just (laughs) .com. Yeah. Mia's on socials as well under FEM21. We will include um, some information in the show notes and really look forward to checking in again with you um, in a couple of seasons to see how everything's going and dive back into some deeper topics around what's happening during this phase of the perimenopause and menopause. Perfect. Thank you for having me, Shay. Oh, such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Sleep by Shay podcast. If you're interested in learning more about our guests or any of the topics we've spoken about today, head on over to the show notes for all the details and sleep advice you need. If you like what you're hearing or are sleeping better, we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and listen along with this podcast to wake up looking and feeling your very best every day. 